everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid co-host, Courtney Kay, who's having a bit of a coffee emergency. Like, out of breath? Because we were about to record, I'm like, wait, I can't find my coffee. Oh, shit, it's right <laughs> Oh my god. I have to show you this little okay, it's called Drinkware. W E A R. And it like goes around your Oh cute. Oh, that's all the princesses. Yeah. That's adorable. No, no winter. (laughs) Oh my god. This is like Fallon, where'd you go? (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Winter walked across the keyboard. Okay. I can still hear you, so you're fine. Can you see me now? I can see you, yeah. Okay. All right. My god. I'm not trying to be extra. It just like comes so naturally. This is a very uh Monday Tuesday that we are having today. <laughs> like it is Tuesday. But I'm feeling very Monday vibes from today. What's going on over there, my fabulous Fallon? It's much more calm <laughs> over there. A little bit. Um, well, I am on deadline, crunch time deadline, for the thing that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which, this is weird, because I've never really had that happen before, where I'm, like, actively working on something that I'm not, like, really, really allowed to talk about. Um, but... It's almost done, and I can't wait to get it out of my hands and make it somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have a question. Yeah. Have you found it easier to focus on this project having not talked about it, or is it harder? Ooh. Like, have That's... you noticed any difference at all? That's interesting. I don't know. I I think maybe in a way it is a little bit easier because there aren't like a lot of expectations yet. Like nobody really knows what's happening. I'm just sort of like in my own little bubble. Um, But it's hard not to talk about it because I find myself like wanting to share like little snippets or, you know, some like sort of updates or, you know, when you're ever seeing the like, show us your work in progress and emojis or whatever. And I'm like, I can't really do that right now. Um, So that's kind of hard because I just, in general, like to chat about those types of things. But um, Mm -hmm. it has been a very interesting writing experience because it's been so fast and so sort of like insulated. Is that Mm -hmm. the right word? Yeah. Yeah. Where I just like, like it just made it, I don't want to say easy. It hasn't been easy, but it's made it possible for me to get it done very quickly. Um. But also, it's just been very kind of strange. But I don't, like, hate it. Yeah. Like, like I'm doing my final read-through right now, and I'm like, okay, this might not actually be terrible. Of course, it's amazing. (laughs) Well, I don't know about amazing yet, but it doesn't suck. Yay! (laughs) I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? I haven't really talked to you since then. Oh, it was lovely. My sister hosted, um, and it was just like a lot of family and her neighbors and lots of pets. Oh. It was good. 
She's such but, a good cook. How about you? It was good. We always do the twofer on Thanksgiving, which is a lot sometimes, but oh my gosh, uh, both of our families are local, so it's kind of hard to just like not do both. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we end up with two Thanksgiving dinners, which is <clears throat> a lot, but <laughs> good. <laughs> do you ha- are you still eating leftovers? I think we're almost almost through the leftovers, but we definitely <laughs> got a lot, mm. which is good. <laughs> so last year, just like full transparency, we had like one, two, three, like four different groups of people to see on Christmas Day. Oh, my God. Two of the groups combined. So it was three stops. Okay. Um. And I told my wonderful family, I'm never doing that again. No, never. it's too much. We drove all day. My little family was like, the three of us were just like out of sorts. out, And it was like, not that cozy. It yeah. wasn't my Hallmark holiday, Fallon. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't good. Um, So I told my family this year, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be traveling on Christmas Day. Um, it. Our house is open if you want to come here and hang out. So it's the first time I've done that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, just like, I mean, um, maybe this is like TMI. But so like my parents split up in like 2020 and they now have different like lives, which is they're happy and I'm happy for them. But it makes the holidays very complicated. And it's like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have to deal with stuff like that nowadays, like you know, even as you get older, it's like, you don't always expect changes like that, but it just happens. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what my point was. I had a point, but it was just to say like, it's okay that the holidays change. Yeah. You yeah. know? And like, I think, oh, so to me, it was like so important to still see everybody on Christmas day. Right. But, like, everybody else was kind of like, oh, you know, we can plan a different time. And But I didn't listen to them. And then that day was, like, (laughs) really stressful on my family, on the three of my little unit. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, so next time, this time, I'm just being like, okay, well, you can come this day. If it doesn't work out that day, then the other day, like, I'll see you another day. Yeah. Totally. No. You got to do that. Like, it's... um... I am the child of divorced parents. So I grew up doing two mm-hmm. holiday celebrations every year. And I always hated that on Christmas. And when I had my kid, I was pretty firm with my family that I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, we do it on Thanksgiving. I'm not doing it on Christmas. Um, and we're, we're lucky that my husband's family does Christmas Eve and my family mm-hmm. does Christmas Day. And that's Same kind of here. like always been the way that it is. So like that part works out really well. Um, and that makes it so much easier because it's like, I don't know. There's just like, you feel guilty. Like if on Thanksgiving, we only went to one of our families, then the other family is going to be like upset. And then it's just like, yeah, it shouldn't be like that. But it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just so much too much like politicking and I'm like I just want to like chill in my pajamas in my living room and like eat some tasty food and too many cookies like that's all yes I I like too much politicking yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's so funny because 
watching these movies, like, you know, the holiday movies, it's like we all, like so many of us want that cozy, warm time that's like slowed down and just really sentimental. But like how many of us actually get that? Is that why these movies are so popular? (laughs) Because we're all like, if only. (laughs) Because everyone's like trying to like create this like quintessential moment. Mm -hmm. But like how many are actually like that? And like, can we still just have moments that we can enjoy and savor even if they're not like ideal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like we um we had a couple Christmases where we so my my sister and her husband are Jewish. Um but we grew up like celebrating Christmas and so we still do Christmas and we do it at my sister's house. But like we had a couple years there where we were just like fuck it, we're ordering Chinese food. Like we're not like, I love it. Doing the whole, you know, like sort of fancy meal. And like it was amazing and wonderful. And I was like, this is the best. But now too, we also have days where Matt has to work on Christmas. Mm-hmm. So just kind of depending on his schedule. Um, because Disneyland on Christmas. So <laughs> Matt yeah. worked last year on Christmas. And so Canon and I decided to go to the parks and it was a freaking nightmare i have it was so crowded it was like jam-packed you could not move and i think it was like because it was the holiday so many extra more people were like oh well we'll just like splurge for the lightning lane like that'll be our holiday gift or whatever Mm. and so it was like you could not get on a single ride if you didn't have (laughs) the stupid lightning lane thing and I was like fuck this I am never doing this again Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it was a nightmare yeah a nightmare (laughs) oh my god and I was like, I'm literally just here trying to spend time with my husband on Christmas. All the rest of you, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was terrible. Oh, yeah. At least they get holiday pay. <laughs> this is, oh, yeah, thank God. They should. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sure. I know. I always feel for, like, you know, essential workers and who always have to work on like literally who has the fucking hallmark holiday who who no not us i don't i don't think many people do no and you know what it's okay it's totally okay whatever y'all's holidays look like this year it's okay yeah you are valued and appreciated and loved whether yeah. that's for a movie on the couch or a full week of holiday celebrations. Just thought of that. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> but Godspeed. <laughs> you know, those like those movies when they go to like they go back home and their mom has like the countdown and then every oh, yeah. day is planned with like a different holiday activity. I'm like, who's doing this? In real life, who lit, who is doing this? I literally just before Not we I. logged on, signed up my kid for like the holiday day camp through his school. I was like, you're not going to be home with me for three weeks by yourself. 
I was like, uh, and it's only, so they have three weeks of winter break. And yeah. So the day camp is like the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas. So he'll still have the entire week of Christmas off with like nothing to do. Yeah. Um, because again, I work from home. My husband works out of the house. So guess who's doing all of the like, let's do fun holiday activities. I'm like, oh, by the way, I also still need to freaking work and do my job. <laughs> so I was like, right, right. Off to day camp you go. <laughs> like, not doing this. We're not going ice skating. We're not building any snowmen. That's not a thing that's happening mm-hmm. around here. So go do some crafts. That's cool. And the way like the school systems are in Southern California, there's basically like a second summer break during winter. Like that's mm-hmm. like the length is almost like equivalent. Um, and it's a lot yeah. on top of all the holidays because, you know, as they get older, they're like wanting to do all these activities and it's like... How am I supposed to work? It's like, yeah, yeah, do everything. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, ugh. as much as this time it can be very special, it can also be extremely stressful. And it's like, that's just reality. And you know what? It's okay. Like, I think a lot of the stress comes from like, external pressures put on us to like, oh, it has to look like this or your kid's going to be fucked up. In their adulthood because they didn't have traditional buildings of snowmen. <laughs> but come on. Like, it's not realistic. It's not. Yeah. It's Especially not. when we don't have any snow. And, like, <laughs> there's still so much pressure to, like, well, let's drive to the snow. Like, come on. Uh, no. It's okay if you that. don't drive to the snow, y'all. Like, you don't. Yeah. So the takeaway here is... Do what you want. Have your holiday be what you want it to be. Yeah. And fuck everything else. Yeah. Fuck it all. (laughs) Happy holidays. (laughs) Uh, We need to put that on a shirt. (laughs) You know which one I love is Bad Moms because it's like so relatable to me. True. Bad Moms Christmas. Yeah. I watched it and I was like, I am liberated. <laughs> Fucking <sighs> happy holidays. We love you. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, on that note, we have an incredible guest today. Um, we talk about tons of fun things, uh, but a lot of food. So be ready to be hungry uh, by yes. the end of this episode. Um, and It was absolutely delightful, and we will be right back with Lisa Pierce. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute. We are super excited to have today's guest with us. Freudian slip. Here we go. I was going to be like, it's early, but it's really not that early. And yeah, I yeah. totally already had like a whole venti coffee. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. It's all good. Uh, we're super excited to have today's guest here with us. Lisa Pierce is a writer with passion for smart, funny love stories with well-deserved happy endings. She has acted professionally in San Francisco, 
produced TV and radio programs in Detroit, and is currently a creative director for an international marketing agency. A Harvard graduate with an MFA in acting from the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, Lisa lives with her partner Danny in Metro Detroit, not far from their three grown children, along with their beloved cats and way too much yarn and plenty of sweets. Sounds like a dream. Lisa, (laughs) welcome. We're so excited to have you here today. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for this chance to chat with you. Oh my gosh, our We're pleasure. We're so excited, yeah. Um, we, I think we just want to dive right into this amazing book. So yes, can you please. give us the elevator pitch and tell us all about it? Sure. So this is Love at 350 Degrees, and it is taking place on the set of American Bake-O-Rama, which is a TV baking competition set in Sonoma, California. And uh, a contestant, uh, Tori, who is a science teacher by day and a phenomenal home baker, catches the eye of a judge, Kendra, who has a bit of chip on her shoulder and obviously cannot fraternize with the contestants during the show. So sparks fly, cookies are baked, and... Not to to do any spoilers, but all works out at the end. <gasps> That's our favorite spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, I wish you all could have seen uh, Courtney's and my faces oh, as I you were like, describing that book because we're just like, yes, give it to yeah. me. <laughs> we're like so in good. the stadium, in the stands, cheering. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, it's uh, it's been great because. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, I started writing this during the pandemic and I'm sure I'm not the only one who, when, you know, they found that the world had closed down, I also got laid off. Mm-hmm. What better to do than watch baking shows? And mm-hmm. it literally saved my sanity. And especially, you know, great British baking show not only is delicious, but the camaraderie and the support that everybody has for each other was kind of Mm. a beacon of hope. So Mm -hmm. that kind of sparked it. And the the other side of it is, uh, you mentioned my partner, Danny. She is the world's best home cook. She can pretty Mm. much make anything. And so, um, you know, after, you know, we've been together 33 years. And so over that time, I've been her taster. I have, you know, she's gone through scads of recipes and it all just kind of coalesced into, well, what would be a good situation where we can, go on the set of a baking show and also really kind of get into that deliciousness of, of, you know, food and love, you know, food is a love language. Um, And uh, so that's where this idea sparked. And, um, you know, on the one's hand, I got to incorporate some of my favorite foods, courtesy of Danny. There's actually a recipe in the back of the book for one of those. Um, And then the other was to kind of lean into my, on camera experience and create a baking show kind of from scratch, pun intended. Um, so, um, it, it was really, it was very fun to write and I'm hoping that people find it's equally enjoyable to read and kind of put your feet up and get a cup of coffee and a, and a nice brownie and enjoy it. Oh my God. What more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I love a baking That's romance. Awesome. Yeah. So- was Danny pretty instrumental in like the baking research you may have had to do? 
Yeah, there was a lot of me going into her office and saying, like, I need a rye bread recipe. And she would, like, go through (laughs) all of her many materials and things like, you know, okay, tell me what a biga is. And she's like, why do you need to know? It was like, well, it's a plot point. I just want to make sure that I'm not being idiot by assuming it's something. So that kind of fact checking has been helpful. Um, And then, but the other thing was, I mean, honestly, she's used food to help us get to know our neighbors, really connect with a lot of folks. You know, we moved here a while ago from San Francisco and that helped us get um, together with people. And so she really understands that bond that takes place when you're baking for someone else. Um, and so just that experience really kind of fed through all of the the cooks on this piece, but, you know, particularly the moments when this professional chef, Kendra, finally gets to kind of reconnect with her passion for cooking because she's baking for someone special. That, that was an element of it as well. I just made the ugliest like melting face because (laughs) my heart is just melting. Um, That's so incredible. And like, I, I just love your perspective on that because in my head, as you were like talking about this, I was like, wow, you're an amazing person because I think in the reverse situation, like if I was writing a book and my uh, partner was like a baker, I would be like, Hey, I need you to make me these cookies. And it's for research. <laughs> and then the next day I'd be like, I really need you to make me these croissants. It's for research. <laughs> just milk that situation. until They were like, please go away. <laughs> so they catch on. Really. It did cross my mind a couple of times on the, on the flip side of it. I'm a much better eater than I am a baker. And so I was like, well, maybe I should bake something. You know, I certainly, um, you know, feel like I've done plenty of research. I've, you know, this kind of thing. But in terms of just getting the feel of baking, yeah, why don't I bake some bread? And I looked at the recipe. Why don't I not bake some bread? You know, it, it, it there is something to be said for leaving it to those who do it very well. But all of us, all of us can appreciate it, I guess is my point. I love how in 2020, other people are like doing sourdough and baking bread and you're like, I'm going to write about baking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's something people aren't doing. Yeah. You exactly. love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, would you be cool with sharing a little bit about like your writing process with us? Like, are you mm-hmm. a plotter, a pantser? How did it all come together for you? Yeah. It's funny you say, say that because I, um, in my previous efforts, I'm like, okay, let's just write a scene and then we'll write another scene and then we'll write, you know, and it got there, but it took for freaking ever. And so in this case, um, and now that I actually had, you know, somebody who was like, yeah, we need to have a full manuscript and an and a synopsis. I had literally hadn't written a synopsis before this book. And so that was a practice that on the one hand, I bitched and moan about the whole time. It's like, why do I need to do this? I don't know where it's going to go. They'll speak to me, you know. <laughs> but on the other side of it, it really, really did help. And um, <clears throat> part of it too was this particular book, because it's taking place on a television program that has a weekly show, and there are some things that have to happen one to the next. It's a competition. That gave me some structure, which was made that process a little easier too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that as I'm approaching new stories now, I see that, yeah, my 
my agent was right. I need to figure it out for <laughs> something. Um, but then it, it does give me kind of a, okay, I know generally speaking what has to happen and then I can do more with the, the, the fun of then, okay, well, let's develop who's doing it and how they're getting there. And then that, you know, so it isn't just kind of lost in its own way. So that's cool. And I, um, commend you because I, I'm not an outliner in any way, shape or form. And in the times when I have been forced to do it, I refuse to like, let it help me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's almost like I, I like, fight mean. against it, you know? Um, but I like, I love that you were kind of like open and let that sort of guide your process. And you weren't a jerk like me and just being like, no. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. Cause I, I mean, one thing I, cause I've talked to a lot of other people who are writing and, or want to write. And I'm like, look, there's no one way to do anything. You really do need to kind of know what works best for you. Yeah. Um, so sure. Let's not force folks into it. But I, the, the thing that helped me was I found an article by Chuck Wendig where he went down, I don't know, 20 or 30 different ways of outlining stuff. And that mm. then told me, okay, yeah, you let's find the one that really is going to be the best, best approach. And that kind of broke a wall for me. Cause I mean, when I heard outline, I thought Roman numerals and yeah. indents yeah. and all this other stuff that is just gross. And so in this case, it became kind of a part of the, yeah, let's acknowledge that you don't have everything completely nailed down, but that's okay. Let's put it all out there. And then I, you know, for me, I have something to bounce off of after that point. So that's amazing. Yeah. I like that you, that there are ways out there to find what works for you. I'm going to look for that article in case I yeah. have to write an outline again. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up with it. No worries. Okay, but thank you. Yeah. I actually, for a while I was teaching creative writing and I used that as something I handed out, but then I realized there was an eighth grader in my class and I had to like zip out all of Chuck Wendy's <laughs> Colorful language and, exp and examples, um, which which was fun. Um, so anyway, oh my gosh, I love that. Well, I'm here for the colorful language. Yeah, so. I know. Me too. Me too. I love that. Um, so we wanted to kind of chat with you a little bit, and I have been like thinking about like how do I say this in a way that is not just calling us all old. But yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Embrace and there's it. nothing wrong with that. We are claiming the term. There what you was go. I watching? Oh, I was watching Virgin River. Actually, my spouse was watching Virgin River and I was watching it with him. And there's this, there was this one moment where this older woman in the show, I mean, she had to be like in her 80s and she was like, you know, we all get to be young, but we don't always all get to be old. Right. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's You're true. Right. You're right. Like, I right. love looking at it that way. And like, age is a gift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. True. Yeah. True. Um, and, and granted, none of us are centenarians. So let's put that out there too. <laughs> yeah. There's, let, let's, let's frame this conversation. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> true. Um, but I do feel like, um, like there are definitely times, especially on social media, when I see other authors like posting their debut deals and stuff. And I'm like, you are a child. <laughs> like, mm. 
How is that happening? (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I'm looking at it in a couple of ways. One is that I had a creative career before this. So I was an actor uh, when I was in San Francisco. And so that was really my focus. And I did lots of musicals and cabarets and all this. And that was, you know, I got my MFA in acting and all this business. And so one of the reasons that I went um, started to focus on writing after after we moved from San Francisco and also that was, you know, after I turned 40 was I don't have that stage um, outlet any longer because there's a much smaller professional community out here. So what am I, what am I going to do? Um, so there's that. But I, I think the other thing is that first off, there is literally no rule for when you were supposed to finish your first, your, your debut novel. I mean, why should there be? because there are all these different stories and there's all these different perspectives you would hope to be able to find. And, and that comes from authors of all sorts. Um, and I think, it, you know, there's also some logistical advantages. I'm not dealing with diapers. I'm not, you know, I can hand the keys to my kids and let them go instead of me having to go everywhere. Um, and even now, you know, two of them are out of the house. So even more time to stare at my computer and say, I'm writing um, when, maybe I'm doing wordle, but, um, so, you know, I am, um, I know that I am lucky. I know that anyone who gets a debut offer is fortunate in a way that doesn't exclude others who maybe haven't yet. You know, it's, it is sometimes opportunity meeting up with, with the material. Mm -hmm. Um, but that said, you know, that's another advantage of me being where I am acting, all of those auditions, all of that stuff, I got to a point where I'm like, it isn't that they're saying I'm terrible. It is saying that this is, you know, you bring a certain level of story, you know, stuff to the table. We don't need it now, but we may need it later. So then doing query letters, realizing that my story, you know, when it gets reviewed is going to hit people very differently. Hopefully I can take it a bit more in stride because it's like, yeah, it's not that what I did was bad. I love my book. I really had fun writing it. I really love these characters. And some people will really, really connect with that. Others may not. And it's no harm, you know, bad words on them or me. Um, And maybe that's another perspective that we of a certain age can bring to writing and bring to, you know, the profession. So. Yeah, Yeah. that's so true. So true. Um, Yeah, because it's like, being a debut is really hard. And when you're, I mean, being a writer period is really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. No as, kidding. You know, we all kind of still are going through all those struggles with reviews and critiques and all of that stuff. And I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, being a little bit more firm and secure in your, in yourself that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I certainly would not have had when I was like in my early twenties, um, you know, to be able to, to handle that a little bit better. Well, and I also think then there's, you know, it's, it's kind of the, you know, the fuck it strategy. It's like, why not? You know, what have I got to lose? Why should I hold back? What, Mm -hmm. what is really going to be the problem with this? And so that is kind of freeing as well. It's, it it becomes, then you're doing it even more for the right reasons. You're doing mm-hmm. it because you have this story you really want to share. It's because you really do find pleasure in crafting words and, and 
um, connecting with people and Hmm. all the better, you you know, I, I think that's another thing that I've really appreciated about this is that, um, ability to, to really make these connections with folks I would never meet otherwise in a million years and know that I've got something that makes them feel good, that makes them happy that they spent time with me and my, my work. Um, so, you know, that's, I may have been more angsty about it earlier. Um, there's still time for me to be angsty about it now. (laughs) Oh my God. But, um, but it's not like my first reaction (laughs) to all of this. So, you know, I, I think that's it too. And, and then, Hey, by now I know myself pretty well. I know I'm not going to get anything decent done until after 10 AM. I know I am good at planning, you know, stuff, you know, so I can kind of relax and say, yeah, you got this, you'll, you'll get it done. You know, I trust you. So. Mm. Yeah. I also, so I'm in my late thirties now and, um, I remember having this moment when I first got my agent, um, met my editor after the book deal and thinking like, if I wouldn't have had my previous work experience of like, you know, 15 years in business, Mm -hmm. I uh, like even just wording an email or knowing how to like engage on that side of things it would have been very difficult for me, like, um, mentally, I think. Mm -hmm. And so being able to like, I don't know, just, uh, I don't even really know how to word it, but I'm good at writing an email. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just really comfortable in that environment when you first get into it and be like, okay, we're all business professionals. This is a touchstone that I have to be able to, feel confident in this new sphere. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was very helpful to me to pull from my past, like work experience in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that um, the other thing is frankly, then the longer we are here and the longer that we're writing, the more mm-hmm. experience we've had at different ages, the more, you know, uh, depth we have in our relationships, there are a lot more things we can bring to the fore. And honestly, again, this is my debut. I did not realize it's not all that common to have a romantic comedy like my book with we, you know, the two leading characters are over 40. Mm. Um, Mm. and, um, you know, this was something that became very evident once I was getting um, advanced reader reviews and stuff. It's like, Oh my God, there's, there are romances out there for people over 30. Oh my goodness. You know? Yeah. And, and so I'm, you know, certainly I feel like happy ever after is timeless, you know, yes. and love mm-hmm. has, love has no age limits. So, and for that matter, there's no, you know, it's never too late to really make your dreams a reality. So let's hope that then, writers, you know, older writers can kind of bring that kind of lived perspective into their stuff too. So. Yes. Uh, There are a few writers that come to mind. You, Jasmine Gullery, um, Jackie Frazier, who we just spoke with. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Who, who have the perspective of like their characters are in their forties plus. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
gosh, it's so necessary, so needed. Mm-hmm. I well, love it. and it, exactly. And, you know, this is back to also um, with the expansion of so many more queer romances and, and, um, Yay. That that means, hey, let's also bring it in from different age groups within that group. Let's let's make sure that we've got, you know, multiple ages within a book, you know, trying to give that variety, which I think most people experience in their own lives and um, kind of bring it to the fore. So that's a great conversation in so many aspects, like now that queer romances are taking up more space on shelves. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm what can we do that maybe has already been been done in like a heteronormative setting, but like, you know, the queer genres that get to now be queer, like, like vampires, like all these things that maybe have been done before, but like, Mm -hmm. are they gay? So like, (laughs) let's, let's like build this up now, you know, it's, it's it's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, certainly I, when I started writing this, and actually my first conversation with um, uh, with my agent um, and with my editor, we were talking about the fact that isn't it great that you know as important as it is to have these stories of struggle, to have these stories, you know, particularly from when I was coming up, the stories were almost all about coming out, mm. having to deal with rejection, all this sort of thing, and that has not disappeared. I'm not saying that. We do now have this opportunity to share the joy, to yeah. share the funny, the silly, the, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, maybe it's with kids. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's things that people never imagined could be part of a queer story. And, and it's filling out, you know, the picture of who we all are. So I'm, I'm so thrilled that there's a lot of company on the bookshelf for my book. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I also too just love that I feel like it's so much more accepted now for people to have like multiple career paths mm-hmm. in their lives. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's okay to like change your mind or change your direction or like explore something new. And, you know, it doesn't have to just be like, oh, this is what you decided when you were 22. And now you are stuck doing this for the whole rest of your life. Like, I love that there is freedom as we get older to try and engage in new, new things that we want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I, I, you know, I appreciate on the one hand, you know, that the, the sort of the hustle economy kind of thing. I was like, yeah, you have your main job and then you have the side hustle, which is what you really want to be doing or whatever which can like burn you the crap out. Oh my so God. So you do have to watch that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm hopeful that when people are doing this or they're looking at kind of their next step, that they're really looking at it. Well, what do I truly value? It's probably not going to be a title or a you know pay grade. Those things are very nice. Um, but I do feel like, you know, at a certain point you have to say, what is going to make me happiest with what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Is it being creative? Is it the type of people that I get to interact with? Is it the flexibility of being able to do it on my own schedule? Um, you know, so all that kind of feeds in and makes it a much uh, better road for artists to trod because, you know, there's, again, that's, you're doing it for the right reasons. Again, you're really 
putting yourself into what it is, you, you know, you know, you want to do, um, because, Hey, the last few years have proved to us anything could happen. So why not start what you want to do now? Why don't you live your dream right now? Go yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. And I love too how it's like having a little bit of life experience gives us so much perspective <laughs> on like the gravity of this career, because we were talking mm -hmm. with Jessica Para, who is about like around our age. And mm -hmm. she was saying like, whenever something feels like so massive in this industry, I take a step back and I'm going to phrase it wrong, Fallon, so correct me. But um, I take a step back, look at everything else in my life and realize this is not everything. Like mm -hmm. having that yeah. perspective is so good for mental health. And you could have that perspective at any age. But I think like, you know, she kind of referenced it to her day job and being like, you know what, the stuff I've done there <laughs> is not like, this is nothing compared to that. Like it in the frame of that conversation that we were having. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just being able to be like, okay, everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like, one of the amazing things about writing is there's no age limit on it. Like, yes. oh yeah, I couldn't, if I suddenly decided I wanted to go be a professional gymnast, that's probably not going to work out so well for me. <laughs> you, you would be I adding your own computer. Spin, yes. To that noble career. My wow. body would be like, um, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> but you know, I can sit in front of my computer for hours and only have mild aches and pains. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Low impact exercise writing is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. I didn't start writing um, like intently until after I had my child because mm -hmm. it was accessible Same. to me any time of day, gave mm -hmm. me a creative outlet. And I love that writing is just something that you really can incorporate into your life wherever you are. Right. Yeah. 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 And anything you experience, you never know when that's going to pop back up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. I also have a lot more like trauma and therapy to pull from now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Very useful. <laughs> Absolutely. I know what I need to do for my book. I need to go suffer for a while. Excuse me. <laughs> and we're all like, check that box off. <laughs> yep. Work through that long-held grudge. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No Wait, kidding. are we supposed to work through the grudges? I thought we would just held them forever. <laughs> Writing fuel. <laughs> yeah, I write purely fueled by spite. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay, well... Uh, food, as we have mentioned, is very important in your book and also very important in a show that many have tried to convince Courtney and I to watch. And I <laughs> promise one day we actually will. Um, but I know you are a fan of the bear. So we mm. want to hear all of your hot takes. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm coming at it as I watch the show and I'm like, Oh, that's what acting really is. I thought oh. I was an actor. Mm. No, no, no. Those people are insane. The, the, uh, so <laughs> with trying not to give any real spoilers, the premise of this, of course, is that this 
chef who had his own Michelin starred restaurant in New York comes back to his family's um, Italian beef sandwich business in Chicago after the uh, suicide death of his brother who had owned it and reconnecting with the family, friends and all this who have been a part of this kind of failing restaurant and now trying to see it as something new and something that gives people more opportunity, um, not only to, you know, make the food better, but also to really become who they need to be. So it's, um, I think for one thing, it is, uh, right now it's a very unique show. Um, some of the characters are folks I have not seen in other things, but I think the other thing that I really appreciate about how this is acted and written and directed is that there are characters who are very hard to love in it. Um, I will say the word cousin and anybody that's listening has seen the show. They'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so, but the thing is with those actors, they are so, they show up for that job. It's like they are not going to shy away from the difficulties these folks have and they are really showing that humanity behind it. And um, yeah, um, as much as I love Jeremy Allen White, who's the star, uh, Eben Moss Backrack has my heart and soul because that actor is just really, it, it, you know, it is, again, it's sometimes painful to watch and you want to literally shake the guy, but he Ooh. is there every minute. Um, I, I think the other thing too that I appreciate is that there is a real... I'm getting into like actor nerdiness. I'm sorry, but love it. it no, no, no apologies. Um, the um, there's a lot of sensitivity in how these characters are directed to deliver their lines and be in scenes. So, the, um, there's a character named Sydney, played by Io Edabiri, who um, you know is this. Uh, big fan of the main chef and she basically showed up and said, I'll work for free. I just want to work with you. And she's had some difficulties in her own uh, cooking career. And she and her father who has been there through all of those downfalls have a simple dinner together. And I noticed at a certain point that the two of them are speaking in a rhythm with each mm. other, that they're, wow. They have, and that's because they grew up together. You know, she speaks like her dad and it's not just word choice. It's just the, the, the interaction. And I'm like, that is such good directing. That is, that is above and beyond what many very good shows do. So anyway, my hat's off to everyone who, who works on that show because it's just, you know, the subtlety and the big, the, the big swings are both there and it's, mm -hmm. you will love it. You will love it. Jeremy? You, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, and you will also want to eat first because otherwise you're just going to plow yes. through your your refrigerator <laughs> afterwards. So you need to get some, <laughs> some hoagies. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> exactly. Um, Jeremy Allen White was in Shameless yep. and I loved him in that show. He was fantastic. So to see him get his own like leading role is very cool. And we had um, Danielle Jackson we were talking to, and she was saying that the show almost feels like a reality show in the way mm -hmm. that they interact because it's so natural. Yeah. Um, so I think that goes to what you're saying and that the level of acting is like so conversational and real feeling. 
Right. I, I mean, that's the thing you've got to, you know, it, it, it is a real talent to be able to bring a story forward that has such high emotion mm-hmm. and such high stakes. And yet you can understand it like it could be happening to your own family. And, you know, some people, honestly, they get to that point. It was like, um, this is a little more than I can take. Um, and again, uh, uh, you know, shout out to your listeners who've watched it, the Christmas episode, um, season two, don't miss it. Um, that was something that was just huge and noisy and you're seeing all of this stuff going on on camera. And yet you also hear that there's a whole nother huge scene going on at the same time that keeps filtering through and, and it makes sense. It's not, you know, even if that's not your own home life and Trust me, I hope it's not. Um, <laughs> it is. It is believable, and it is just so masterfully done. I am, yeah. And in the hands of people like Jeremy Allen White and others, um, it, it's it's just remarkable. Hmm. I fully believe that writers really owe it to themselves to watch shows like this Mm -hmm. and movies tv all of that because i feel like there's just so much you can learn um it's just a total it's a different medium but there's still so many of the same you know through lines and you can pick up so much so much good stuff like how to write those conversations that feel Mm -hmm. like natural Mm -hmm. and real like that's so huge yeah that's you know when i started to focus on writing Certainly dialogue was the first thing I was doing because I'm an actor. I'm used to having the characters just talk to each other. But then the big thing I realized was like, hang on, nobody else is in my head. They have no idea why they're saying that, where they are, what they're dressed like. And so, um, you know, it's taking the words and kind of working at them from the exact opposite way the novelist would. So novelists have to make sure everybody's along the journey with you, that they, everyone can see everything. Um, whereas typically an actor gets a script, which is literally just words. You may not have the background. I mean, this is why there are 15 million different versions of Shakespeare. You mm-hmm. have to then fill in all of this other um, subtext and, and context and existence um, that is just suggested by words. So it's been interesting because I that that was like one of the big shocks when I was doing my first readings of some of the scenes. It's like, yeah, the, the, the dialogue's really great and we're really along with you and it's got great rhythm. I have no idea where these people are. Are they in the kitchen? Are they, mm-hmm. <laughs> are they at home? Yeah. So, um, you, you know, and that's one thing that I think visual media really reminds us of is there's a lot being said but look in the corner. Where did that clock come from? You know, look at uh, that stain on their on their apron. You know, is somebody that fastidious? Is that bugging them or not? You know, and trying to mm-hmm. let that sort of convey some of the things that you'll need to do in the the written story um, that it will not. So you don't have to just exposition people to death. It will be there, and that will give people the signals that they need to know who they're dealing with yeah That's my so mind true. oh go ahead Malik. sorry no i was just like yes yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mind was in the same place as yours lisa when you were speaking because i'll never forget learning like that moment in my writing journey when i learned 
how to have characters interact with the setting to incorporate it into the story as mm-hmm, opposed to mm-hmm. having it be like expositional. Is that a word? Exposition. <laughs> you were correct. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, and it was really exciting to be like, oh, what parts of the setting are actually important to this character? What's going to highlight them and what, how are they going to interact with it in a way that's very natural to them? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now it's like one of my favorite things to do in writing, but it was an exciting moment when I actually learned how to like pull that all together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still learning. Oh yeah. Me too. (laughs) I mean, I used to joke that when I was on stage, I was allergic to props. It was like, if I, if I had a rifle, I would, you know, it wouldn't cock on cue for any, get your gun or, you know, I would, something would slip out of my hands or it wouldn't be there or the knife would fall down someone's boot and they couldn't kill me with anything but their finger. You know, it's just, so I get it. I get it. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, I love theater mishap stories. Those <laughs> yeah, are always yeah. so fun. Mm-hmm. But that's always another so show. That's a whole other <laughs> show. Um, but one more thing we want to talk about on this show. Um, you are a huge pop culture person. And I am a huge pop culture person. I will say every time I see the complaint about one of my books, that there's too many pop culture references. And I'm like... You're wrong. <laughs> it's one thing I can fully stand behind in my own writing is I was like, you will, you will pry them from my cold dead hands. <laughs> so okay. But what are some of your, your favorite like fandoms of the moment? Oh my gosh. <sighs> well, I, you know, I think it's interesting that now people are happy to let their freak flag fly for mm-hmm. practically mm-hmm. anything. So it's like, what we do in the shadows has a very devout group of folks who go like way deep into recuts on TikTok and and all this other business. And I'm like, wow, didn't know you, you know, you do you. That is fantastic. You know, I'll dip my toe in when I need it and then I'll come back out. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think there's that. I think, um, you know, some of the bigger expansive ones like I, I was in on X-Files back in the day from the jump. And then I saw this week, yes, it celebrated its 30th anniversary of debuting. And I'm like, okay, not a cent- I am not a centenarian, not a centenarian. I'm not a centenarian. Um, <laughs> that can't be mathematically correct. <laughs> no, I know. Um, but, you know, and that was kind of the early days of people going on listservs or going on eBay to get, to get, yes. you know, souvenirs mm-hmm. and things. And, um, I do a lot more of that kind of engagement just from the comfort of my own desk chair instead of going to the clothing shop in LA to look for the pants with Mulder's, you know, tag in the back. <laughs> Let's say, for example, maybe that happened. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, I do feel kind of comforted that people are just happy. They are happy with what they're, makes them happy. I think that's the biggest mm. thing. You know, there's no more apologies for it. You don't have to hide it. You will undoubtedly find somebody else who speaks that language. Um, hopefully they're nice about it. Hopefully they're <laughs> not, you know, 
nerdsplaining everything to you. And it's like, I know that. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a joy. And I, and I, you know, this is kind of back to it's storytelling in the broadest form. It is where everybody's bringing themselves to the story now. And they're even extending it in directions that they would love to see it go. And then they want to fill in the full picture of what else could be there. And they, you know, want to have sometimes that tangible experience, um, you know, hats off to cosplayers. They are, mm -hmm. you know, people who are definitely just making things their own and uh, really having themselves shine through it. So yeah. I think it's all, all for the good. Um, I just get afraid that I'm not, nerdy enough about stuff and then I'll just be like shut out and I'll just have to press my nose to the glass. And it's like, but no, I, <laughs> I like Ashoka too. Ahsoka too. I, I, I didn't watch the Clone Wars. I'm sorry. And I, I was raising kids. What do you want? You know? Um, so, you know, <laughs> nerdiness is a spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. I yeah. totally feel that. I, um, like, I love Star Wars. I love marvel the mcu like obsessed mm -hmm. with it but every time i like i live very close to disneyland i go pretty frequently and anytime i wear like a marvel shirt in the parks i'm like is somebody gonna stop me and be like oh so what did you think of this <gasps> you know third episode of this show that you haven't watched yet and i'm gonna be like well they'll be like fake fake <laughs> no no the, the best thing to say then is well i have my thoughts on it what about you what did you think Ooh, there you go there just you make go. sure you've got something to drink and a place to sit down but you'll you'll be good yeah i love the sense oh of gosh. community too yeah 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 exactly. that's my favorite thing I will like never forget. I went to see, you know, uh, an opening night showing of Avengers Endgame. I mm. went by myself because right. I, my kid was still relatively young at that point, and I was like, I'm not taking him. Um, and in this like completely packed, jam full theater, to hear us all have the experience together of like watching those final scenes. Yeah. Yeah, it was like I will never forget that feeling, yeah. and like I still get it when you like see those little spots. You yeah, know, like yeah, it just is like nothing can take that away. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I sometimes look at that that last scene, and I was that was another pandemic sad for me. It was like I remember when we all got together and we could you know have this shared experience and just come out feeling amazingly good, even. Yeah even if it's not quote real. Um, I, I still feel like the Funko pop should have done a Kevin Feige bobblehead <laughs> after that. Yeah. I was like, mm, man, you stuck the landing. Is um, that not a thing that exists? How does he not have his, own? how does he not have it? How has Disney not bought Funko pop at this point? I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's a good question. Don't give yeah. him that idea. <laughs> yeah, really? Exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, look at, it shows you stories are stories are the way we we get through the world. So, oh, yes, yeah. can you imagine? Mm. It'd be no. dreary. Um, they do make custom Funkos on Etsy. I bet you it exists. It's true. Uh, that's good to know. And yet, I don't know that I'm going to spend my hard-earned cash in a picture of Kevin Feige. But it is something that I can tell my children. You know, that's if fair. you can't think of anything else for Christmas, this is an option. There you go. Um, 
Also, <laughs> if you are ever in Los Angeles, there is a Funko store in Hollywood that will also make you a custom uh, Funko. And then it's like a legit one with the box and everything. Wow. So, okay. Oh my God. That's like one of my goals. You have to get there like super early because they only do like a limited number of them each day. Oh. So you have to like basically like line up outside the store, like at opening to have a chance to get one but uh it's on my bucket list like, what are you saying mm-hmm. you're not a real nerd let's oh my god nice oh my gosh also, not like about it. back to the the like age um i i liked dana scully okay mm-hmm. but i love jillian anderson Mm. now like now oh yeah. oh yeah with her silver fox hair did you watch sex education on netflix i saw an episode why i haven't watched more i don't know it was fantastic oh my god i just i don't know what the show was about i just know she was in it like and i watched the whole thing and i was like oh my god i'm in love with her, <laughs> love her. oh yeah amazing like, I of know. Course, yeah, I mean, but now, like, I don't know. It's something, something. Age has done Good her stuff. well. <laughs> Age has done her well. Yeah, I know. I even accept the fact that she speaks with a British accent now, you know, on the regular. I know. Maybe that I'll, was it, I'll too. Give her Maybe that. that was also it. I'll give her that. Wasn't she I, on The Crown? Is that why she does that now? I, well, she's done a lot of British stuff. Actually, Sex Education was a British show. She, she yeah. played Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, she's done a lot of British stuff. She grew up in Michigan, by the way. Oh, I literally was like, is she British? <laughs> no, no. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. But... Oh my gosh. You know, just seeps in after a while and you can't, you can't shake it off, I guess. I know. I know. I if you like do it well, I'll excuse me. it. I would yeah. like to have a cool accent. It'll never happen. No. Just watch me well, start you talking like... in life. If you moved Hello. to England, England, then you would have an accent. You would That's be the right. person with the accent. Yeah, you just have to move to another country. That's all You'll it takes. Fine. That's all it takes. <laughs> all right, Lisa. Well, we don't want to take up your entire day, but we do want to know what you are working on right now, what you have coming up next, whatever you can share with us that's allowed. Of course. So, of course, uh, my immediate uh, push is Love It 350 Degrees is coming out on October 10th. So, um, I am really gearing up and telling people about all this right now. That said, um, I am working on a story that is um, taking place in my adopted homeland of Detroit. Um, and it's focusing on the idea of, well, what if Jack White had been a woman? <gasps> of, the, of like the white stripes? Of the white stripes. Oh my and, God, Lisa. And- and so back in the late 90s, they came up in the midst of a whole lot of other indie garage bands, uh, many of which were uh, fronted by women. And uh, so my story ho- is going to be talking about this you know, breakthrough artist who um, was one of the few who was successful to kind of pull out of Detroit's orbit and make it big. And her business manager slash girlfriend who helped her get there. And then at the pinnacle of success, she dropped out of sight. So Mm -hmm. why, what happened? And then now that um, she's got a song 
that's been used on a Netflix show that everybody's singing again. And the club that she got her start in is about ready to close. Can she come back to Detroit and have one more concert without totally breaking her former girlfriend's heart? So that's the premise. Um, I am going to be really excited to work on this. Um, my uh, partner's cousin actually was a music booker back in those days, has a bajillion stories, and I need him to sign a piece of paper. But he said, yeah, you can just use any of this stuff. And I'm like, good thing. Good thing. Done and done. Done and done. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping, it, you know, it gives us a chance to kind of look back at the 90s, uh, which I lived through. Um and then also kind of today, once you had that kind of shiny career, um, kind of way in the, in the rearview mirror, what brings you pleasure now? What is it that you, you know, how do you kind of still move forward and feel like you're, you're doing what it is you truly love? Amazing. I love that. And I, I love how you mentioned the Netflix show, the song in a Netflix show, because it reminds me of <clears throat> Kate Bush having. Oh, Yeah her running up that hill moment. And I was like, what must that be like? Yeah. Um, oh, I so know. I'm, that's a cool element. Well, and it's also, you know, the Barbie movie is featuring mm-hmm. closer to fine over and over again. And my first yes. thought was, do people understand what this, where this song came from? And then I'm like, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. They will figure it out. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of thing of hearkening back to something that was really kind of a, a you know, touchstone of, when we were growing up and now suddenly, you know, the next generations are thinking they discovered the song or they suddenly bring this, you know, wide-eyed enthusiasm to it yes. that yeah. we Gen Xers just were too jaded to admit. So cool. Very, very cool. The musicians deserve it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my kiddo, it's so funny because we were watching Mamma Mia uh, mm-hmm. with Meryl Streep and she's like, oh, this is where that song is from. I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I, I know it from TikTok. And so she was like very excited about like knowing the song. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. You, you said with your head in your hands, that's wonderful, honey. Great. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I know. But it's like, it's funny because it's a, it's like a cool way that we can share it because. Yes. She, yes. You're, like you said, like bringing their excitement to it. Um, and you can kind of meet in the middle, you know, it's me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So and exciting. I am looking forward to really delving into this. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Do you Amazing. also want to shout out your indie work as well? Um, define indie work. Oh, sorry. Because you have, um, what's the word? My brain just went blank. Um, you, the, your previously published oh, yeah, yeah. novels. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I don't have a film coming out. Wait a minute. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm um, actually on my Amazon page are two of my first books, uh, my two first books. Uh, one is Love and Other B-Sides, um, which is the story of an aging rock and roller who is behind on delivering his, his album until he meets a fan who's getting over the loss of her philandering husband. And she becomes his muse and he becomes her headache. Amazing. Um, Cute. And then the other is, I call it uh, mythological fan fiction. 
So my favorite Greek myth of all time is Eros and Psyche because it has a happy ending and the human woman (laughs) doesn't end up turning into a tree or something. Um, And so just trying to turn that into a story and honestly fill in some of the blanks that the story had uh, turned into a novella, Eros and Psyche. um, And that is also available. For whatever reason, it seems to sell a copy or two in Great Britain every couple of months. So it's an international seller. Let's put it that way. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Totally, totally counts. I will take All that. All right. Yep. <laughs> uh, before we let you go, can you let us know where we can find you on the interwebs? Yes. So you can uh, find me on Instagram, and that's at Lisa Piers Author, all together. Um, I am also on Facebook. I have a Lisa Pierce author page. Um, and, uh, the book itself is currently available anywhere books are sold. Hopefully, um, you will find your independent bookstore is happy to fill your order. So try that first. For sure. Um, Lisa, thank you so much. This has been a, uh, delight. I'm very hungry now. I need to go (laughs) eat something delicious. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Uh, Well, thank you for being here. We appreciate you giving us your time. Well, likewise, thank you again so much. This has been a lot of fun. You're amazing. And listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll chat with you more next week. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K K A E on all social media platforms. And you can find me Fallon Ballard at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.